0: Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Andrew Taylor, Manager of Technical Support for Services at Xenotech, who recently joined us for a webinar where he provides an overview of processes by which drugs are metabolized, and talks about the importance of drug metabolism and drug-drug interaction studies. Let's jump right in. First question here, Andrew, um, if in vitro DDI studies were conducted many years ago, for example, you know, maybe before the 2020 guidance came out, uh, would you recommend redoing such studies to ensure they meet the current guidance recommendations?
1: Yeah, this is a great question we get asked often, and the answer is maybe. One would actually have to go in and look at the study design and see see how the studies were conducted to make sure that they meet current guidance. If not, yes, we'd absolutely recommend to repeat those studies. But if they do meet current guidance, then there's probably no need to repeat them
0: a Great answer. Next question here. So for CYP inhibition and induction conducted prior to the IND, we do not have information on clinical drug concentrations. So what concentrations would you recommend for these studies?
1: Another great question. And this is actually something that comes up a lot in our line of work, especially when clients are very early on in the in their drug discovery process for a particular compound, so the main concentrations that are or the highest concentrations that are used, of course, are set forth set forth by the regulatory guidance. But if that information, like say on dosing or C max, isn't known, we want to go as high as possible. And and by going as high as possible, even if the C max isn't going to be that high, and say the regulatory agency wants to look at fifty times unbound Cmax, at least we're going high enough to cover our bases or the drug developers covering our bases just in case. So in those situations too, we might recommend just going as high as even solubility or cytotoxicity allows just to make sure that we're testing it high enough. Good question.
0: Yeah, it makes sense.
1: All right. So if we, if we see a borderline induction, do you think it
0: would be necessary to conduct a clinical DDI study?
1: There's not an easy answer to that question. And my answer would be, it depends. There's a lot more that needs to be looking at. Perhaps no, you might not need to conduct a clinical DDI study if the clinical dose is gonna be much lower than what we tested at. It would also be necessary to do the R equations, which are the static models put forth in the guidance, which could give some insight onto whether or not a clinical DDI study will be required. And also just to look at the, the data as a whole. And determine if if a clinical study is going to be needed as a follow up.
0: Excellent, great answer.
1: Another good one here. Uh, is there a possibility
0: that if we inhibited one of the SIF pathways, that other pathways might be automatically activated?
1: Yeah, you know, these are all excellent questions. Yes, assuming that the compound is a substrate for other drug metabolizing enzymes, this could absolutely be the case. A great example for this that's well known is acetaminophen. Acetaminophen is easily metabolized by CYP2E1 however inhibiting CYP2E1 can then uh, doesn't necessarily alter its metabolism it's then just metabolized by other CYP isoforms such as 3A4 1A2 cetera. so either of the isoforms of a given family can step in to compensate that compensate for the inhibition of one of them. And it's also important to remember that it's not necessarily always in the same family too. Perhaps other enzyme families could take in such as UGTEs other sorts of conjugating enzymes, things like that.
0: Yeah, really good point. Thanks for that. All right. Uh, so for sip induction, do you usually perform a cytotoxicity assay? And if you were to perform it, would you use it from samples from the same well?
1: Yeah, so for SIP induction, the regulatory guidance does require that cytotoxicity be assessed during the assay. So it is our standard design at Xenotech that we look at cytotoxicity. We do this on a daily basis during our three-day treatment of the cells. We do this for all three donors, and we also do it at all concentrations as well. So it's done in every single well, and those data are taken and compiled at the end of the experiment.
0: Excellent. Yeah, it looks like we actually have a handful of questions on SIP induction here. So, for the same test, so how do you select the test concentration, and how many of these do you pick?
1: Yeah, so as I answered before with the question on if, say, we don't know what our concentrations are going to be, the the top concentrations to use for induction are picked or or determined by what's set forth in the regulatory guidance. For example, the new ICH M12 guidance, uh, the the draft guidance that came out in May earlier this year is pointing towards 15 times the unbound CMAX as the top concentration to use. When it comes to how many concentrations to pick, that's not necessarily put forth in the current FDA guidance. However, you have to pick enough concentrations to calculate an EC50 should induction be determined. So that's a minimum of five because you need at least five data points to, you know, make a decent curve. Our standard at Xenotech is to use seven concentrations. And that way, if we happen to see cytotoxicity at the highest concentration, we still have enough data points to be able to calculate the uh, EC50 at Emax.
0: Great answer. So again, for a SIP induction, do you get a mixed response and how do you interpret that data? Does mRNA data supersede enzyme data?
1: Excellent question and one that we get asked a lot because it can be a common occurrence. So I'm not exactly sure what Sherwin meant by mixed responses. That can mean different things, but according to the guidance, if even one of the three donors shows positive induction, then it's considered an in vitro inducer. But I think mixed in this question might also mean how do you interpret the data if you're looking at messenger RNA and enzyme activity? The guidance does not specify which endpoint to use. However, mRNA is the preferred endpoint. Enzyme activity data can also be added to have a more robust data set and enzyme activity data can also be helpful if one is worried about suppression. There is always the case though, when using enzyme activity, that the drug or some of its metabolites might be an inhibitor of those enzymes, which could make interpreting the enzyme activity data more complex. And that's why messenger RNA is the preferred endpoint.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.